Hey, good morning, gang. Good to be here with you again today for our series in Galatians on Tuesday mornings uh, for our CHF devotions. Uh, today we're in Galatians 5, Galatians 5, probably looking at verses 1 through 12, depending on uh, how much time we have. Uh, sorry, I'm a little late getting to the game today. I just, I needed coffee so bad this morning. It's just one of those mornings, so bad. Uh, so if you need a cup of coffee, go ahead and grab it. I'll wait for you. I uh, want to remind you about a couple things that um, are going on in the life of, you know, Christ Hold Fast and 1517 and the crew that we do work with. First of all, uh, yesterday, Dan Price and I released our final episode in uh, 30 minutes in the New Testament in the book of Romans. So if you have not checked out that series yet, we literally just took apart the entire book verse by verse. We spent, I think, about 20 plus episodes. I know, I know it was over 20 episodes on the book and uh, just had a blast doing it. Great time discussing this. I mean, arguably maybe the the most significant book in the New Testament, at least as far as explaining uh, what it is why we believe as Christians and why we believe it, especially about the importance and the significance of uh, the gospel. So, so check that out. Also remember to, uh, if you haven't picked it up, grab a copy of Luther's commentary on Galatians from 1517. Uh, I've shown it here before. It's definitely worth picking up. You can find it on uh, Amazon. You can find it at the 1517 shop. But um, if you really want to do like a deeper dive into Galatians than what we can do here, that is, I mean, it's one of the most significant books written in all of history uh, because of its, uh, of its time when it was written and, and who it was written for and that sort of thing. So definitely, definitely, definitely worth checking that out. All right. So like I said, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, hopefully you grabbed your coffee. Let's dig in a little bit. So um, anyone that knows me um, knows that one of my favorite sports growing up, it was kind of a toss-up between skating, like skateboarding, and um, and basketball. Basketball was always a favorite sport of mine. I played the game pretty devotedly for most of my childhood. I mean, I met Magic Johnson in person. This is true. I've got a picture to back this up. Um, I genuinely believed at one time that I, I really, if I heart, tried hard enough, had a shot at making it in the pros. Um, that, that is until I met people a foot taller than me that could shoot better than me, rebound better than me, defend better than me, and look better than me doing it. Um, anyhow, so I remember uh, one game some years ago. We were starting off, and if you know anything about uh, basketball, you know it begins with a jump ball in uh, the center of the court. Uh, to my great excitement, I retrieved the ball and started running down the court towards the basket. I was way ahead of everyone around me. As a matter of fact, it was like it was like the other players had cement in their shoes because there was no one even getting close to me. And eventually I got to the, the net and I laid the ball up and in, celebrated, started running back down the court when I realized, of course, I had scored a basket for the other team. I had unknowingly run in the wrong direction. These things, these things happen. You see, it's, uh, it's possible even if you think that you're headed in the right directions, it's very easy to even unknowingly find yourself running in the wrong way. And when we come to chapter 5 of Galatians today, 
Uh, Paul still dealing with the issue of getting this group of churches ready uh, to properly understand and receive the gospel. He's still kind of um, arguing the case for the gospel being just Christ alone and his gifts. Uh, and yet he he does acknowledge that they did have it at one time, like they've run away from where they were supposed to be. But he does say in verse 7 of our text today, you were running well. You were. In other words, they, you were running in the right direction. So what happened? What does it look like to run the race well? I think that's what Paul describes for us in one way or another in our passage today. So uh, first of all, what I see is that we race in the right direction as free Christians when we don't add to the finished work of Christ at all. So that's what it looks like to run in the right direction, first of all, is we don't add anything to what Jesus has done. Look at what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, literally, that could be translated this way straight from the Greek. Uh, Christ set us free to remain in freedom. Speaking of our conscience from the threats of the law, Christ set us free to remain in freedom, so keep on standing fast in that freedom. So then don't allow yourselves to submit again to a, a yoke. The picture when you hear yoke is, is of an ox loaded down with a heavy load. It says don't submit to that because it's like being enslaved. If you add anything to the finished work of Christ for your salvation, you become like a working ox out in the field with a gigantically heavy burden on your back. And in contrast, Jesus says what? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is what life is like when you seek to gain God's grace and favor via your works. You don't. It's like you're an ox carrying a heavy load instead of somebody free whose load is being carried for them. Not only that, Paul says, I, Paul, he says this because he wants to be unequivocally clear about his authority and stance as an apostle. I, the apostle Paul, commissioned by Jesus Christ, tell you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, this does not mean that if somebody merely gets circumcised, that they forfeit the ability to be a Christian or forfeit the ability to be saved. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you submit to circumcision or this idea that your obedience is what makes you right before God, that's really what he's talking about, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. So it goes deeper. Not only will the race of life get harder because we're carrying the yoke of guilt and shame that living under the law brings, but even worse, if we depend on our works to save us in any sense, Christ becomes of no advantage to us. Why? Well, because when he said it is finished, it turns out God means what he says. It turns out Jesus meant what he said when he said it was finished on the cross. He wasn't crossing his fingers. He wasn't saying it's finished for now. He was saying, I paid it all 100%. To place your hope in anything else is a lack of faith in his word. It's you saying, well, you know, I'll pay some of that debt back on my own. Thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. I know you saved you did it. You said you did it all, but, you know, I got something to add here. No, that's not the way this works, folks. It's all him or nothing. So, a while back, I had a, a friend who fell on some, some hard times. Uh, Evan, this is a friend from a long, long time ago, so... Um, but one time he, he called and asked if he could borrow 
uh, some money. Now, I'm, I personally, I don't believe um, in me personally loaning people money. I try to just, if somebody asks, I try to just give. Um, so I said, look, I'll, I'll just, I'll give it to you. Don't worry about paying me back. Uh, and the reason why I do that is because I don't want anything to get weird. <laughs> so it's, there's a very practical reason for me to want to give rather than to loan. And that's because I'm just, I know how it works when the relationship changes from a friend helping a friend to somebody that now owes you a debt. And so he, he said, you know, I gave him the money. He said, oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And I said, now, listen. I really mean it. I don't want you to pay me back. I do not want this to make things weird with us. Well, this happened a few other times. He fell on hard times, and, and each time I would tell him it was a gift, and I noticed after three or four times of receiving a gift that he started acting very differently around me. Anytime I saw him, he would assure me that he was going to pay me back. I'm going to pay you back, man, with interest. I, I, and I would tell him, I, I, don't want, I don't want it, man. <laughs> don't worry about it. It is a gift. You don't have to pay me back. I mean, and this wasn't like a ton of money either, folks. I mean, but he couldn't accept that I, and I hate to say it, but it, it did change our relationship because even though, even though I had given him this money, he couldn't help but see it as a loan that he was responsible to somehow pay back. And so instead of our relationship deepening because of generosity, it actually hindered it. And eventually he felt like too guilty for never being able to pay me back for a gift. I never expected him to work off. And Paul says, that's what we fought. That's what you've fallen into Galatia. Jesus is not expecting you to pay him back by your obedience. He's not expecting. He's like, Hey, I look at all that I did for you. Now get to it, get to stepping. Get working, folks. No. And I said, just enjoy the freedom that I've won for you. All right. By the way, I noticed the same, I noticed the same problem in my own heart. I there's a a quick story. Uh, not too many stories today, I promise, but um there's there's this restaurant, and the owner wanted to be very kind to uh local clergy. And so she said, if you're you know a pastor. You come in here, you're not paying. Very, very nice, very nice woman. Uh, you know, and this diner serves good food. And uh, she, she meant it, like, you're clergy, you don't pay. You know what I found myself doing? I found myself avoiding going to the place because I didn't want to be seen as a, quote, freeloader, taking advantage. I didn't want to be seen as somebody that takes advantage of a gift. That's my bad. I'm actually taking something away from her. She wants to use what she has to bless me. And I, because of my own stubborn pride, won't allow her to. So I, as I, I, I talk about this, I understand the attitude that hinders us from accepting that it really could all be done by Jesus Christ. I understand the, the position that wants to have some skin in the game. I go through it too. I understand. So he says, verse three, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Do you see that word obligated there? That word means morally obligated to pay off a debt. That's the way it was used. The word obligated was used to describe somebody that owed someone something else. Paul says, no, no. Either Christ takes all the debt, your sin has accrued before God, past, present, and future. Or you try and pay off all the debt, your sin has accrued before God. There is no other way. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away 
from grace. Oh, man, this is a difficult passage. Paul is saying if you if you add to Jesus, if you if you insist on trying to save yourself, you're racing in the wrong direction. You're going against grace. You have fallen away from grace, he says. Now, does that mean, since Christ has done it all, that really the Christian life is just sort of a static, stoic thing? Like, well, I don't have to do anything, so I guess I'm not going to do anything. Not at all. Paul continues, if you're running the race in the right direction, for the first time, you're actually freed up to truly get your mind off of yourself, to stop gazing at your belly button, wondering if you're holy enough to merit God's favor. Now, guess what? You're free just to love and serve your neighbor. That's what he writes in verse 6. That's the second way we know we're running in the right direction. Instead of focusing on ourselves, on our own little self-salvation project, or wondering whether we're holy enough today, our eyes start focusing on the well-being of our neighbor. It's as Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Not to add to your salvation, but in light of your salvation. So Paul says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Let me put it this way. The more free you are in the gospel, the more you will find yourself wanting to serve others. Luther, in his Freedom of the Christian, little booklet, you should also get that too. It's cheap and a great read. States the axiom this way. A Christian is Lord of all, completely free of everything. A Christian is a servant, completely attentive to the needs of all. You hear that? It's sort of like what David Brooks says in a piece a few years ago that he wrote to people that would be graduating college, trying to tell them, you know, what they should expect in the world, what they should expect in the future. And he was addressing how oftentimes commencement speeches will uh, tell people to kind of, you know, be themselves, go do their own thing, make your mark in the world. And he says, all right, well, you want to know how to make your mark in the world? This is David Brooks in the New York Times. He says, here's what it is. The purpose in life is not to find yourself. It's to lose yourself. That's, that's what the Christian life looks like. To be free is to actually be so free that, you're, that you care enough about your neighbor that it's not about you at all anymore. <laughs> So that's the, that's, Paul says, you're running in the right direction if your faith is expressing itself in love for your neighbor. Thirdly, we race well by paying close attention to our doctrine. Listen to verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Paul is saying, again, you're running in the right direction, and then it's like someone fooled you and got you off track in the race. You, you, you ever see those old cartoons where, where somebody's in a race, and then it, it's like someone, um, you know, someone's in a race, and then their nemesis repaints the lines of the track to get them to lose? You ever you remember that in the old, I think, Warner Brothers cartoons? Well, that's what these false teachers are doing. Well, how did that happen? Paul says, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, if you've ever seen leaven work through bread, all it takes is a tiny bit to spread like wildfire throughout the whole batch of dough. 
The point is, all it takes is just a little false teaching, a little allowance for a little error. After all, I'm sure they mean well, and I don't want to be seen as too ticky-tack. But if we're not careful, especially as it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it can change things dramatically over time. And usually it doesn't happen overnight, folks. Usually it happens slowly, drip by drip by drip. We allow in the false teaching of legalism for even what we might see as good reasons, and it ends up biting us. It ends up hurting us. Now, it's so important that we pay attention that we insist that Christ and Christ alone is all we need for salvation, that we may even have to passionately throw off those who seek to lead us astray. So listen to what Paul says, verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Now listen to this. But, I, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's in Holy Scripture. You heard that right. That's the apostle of Jesus, one of the very few in all of human history, the main propagator of Christianity to the rest of the world. That is Paul, the Paul, saying that he wishes those who trouble the Galatians with their legalistic teaching would just go ahead, since they're all so into circumcision, go ahead and cut all the way. Paul. Paul, what are you doing? Eric, I'm loving the Galatian church. I want them to understand how significant this point is. We cannot compromise on this. Christ and Christ alone is everything or else we lose it all. That's why I talk like this, Eric. And you know what? He's in good company in defense of the gospel against false teachers. Um, Sometimes there's no other way. I mean, Jesus was like that with the Pharisees. You know, we, we sometimes get this picture of like hippie Jesus, you know, carrying sheep and, and just saying nice platitudes. But he also said, woe to you, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, Luther also, during the Reformation, whew, uh, <laughs> I'm convinced the more one reads Luther, the more... Uh, that they get a little disturbed because sometimes he goes way <laughs> over the top in his criticisms. Uh, but, but again, it was always when it came to this issue, if you add to Christ, then there's going to be, we're going to have words. I'll just read you a snippet. This is one of his more mild sort of insults. Uh, Luther writing to Erasmus in his bondage of the will says this, whereas your book struck me as so worthless and poor that my heart went out to you for having defiled your lovely, brilliant flow of language with such vile stuff. I thought it outrageous to convey material of such low equality in the trappings of such rare eloquence. It's like using gold or silver dishes to carry garden rubbish or dung. You hear how Luther's dealing with the man. I mean, hey, you speak well, but you're speaking a bunch of garbage. Well, the point is, if we would run the race in the right direction, we, we must pay attention to our doctrine and we must insist that the gospel really is Christ and Christ alone.
for the forgiveness of all our sins and to declare us righteous. So let's wrap this up. How's this all look? How does all of this actually look? Well, our natural inclination is to think of the Christian race like we, um, you know, like we think of Usain Bolt or something like that, or, or maybe some long-distance runner. Uh, but in reality, if, uh, if you were to walk away from this devotion here today thinking that way, that you're the Christian Usain Bolt, I promise you, you will find out very quickly you are not. You will find out that you are guaranteed to fail. Now, ultimately, our racing looks, I think, more like the racing of Rick Hoyt. I don't know if you know who he is. Rick Hoyt was, was born with cerebral palsy and as a result has always had a, a very twisted up body. He's been unable to walk, unable to transport himself anywhere, entirely dependent in a wheelchair. And yet, amazingly, he participates in triathlons. Now, you say, uh, how on earth can he do that, Eric? Well, this is how, and this is true, by the way. The reason Rick Hoyt can do this, can race it all, is because Dick Hoyt, Rick's father. How so? Rick's father places him in a boat and pulls him for two and a half miles in the water. When Dick bikes the 112 miles of the race, Rick is seated with him, and when Dick runs the 26 miles of the marathon, the entire time, he is pushing his boy, Rick, to the finish line. You see, to, to race in the right direction, we don't need to be Usain Bolt. We need to be like Rick Hoyt, trusting that our Father will indeed bring us to the finish line, that, that when Paul says, he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus, that again, he meant exactly what he said and he cannot fail. So I hope that causes you today to live in freedom and to enjoy your freedom. Cast all your burdens upon Christ. He has given you, he has taken all of them on the cross, and he continues to take your burden today. Have a great week, folks. We will see you next week as we continue through Galatians chapter 5. God bless.